0: Welcome to More Than One Thing with me, Athena Calderon. The podcast focused on non-traditional career paths, creative endeavors, and the ever-elusive multi-hyphenate. We live in a world today which encourages us to be the multifaceted humans that we are, though we're still subjected to antiquated pressures to follow a single path to success but there is so much beauty to be found in our complexities, and I want to encourage you to embrace your full self. This is a podcast about taking the road less traveled to find your passion and purpose while navigating the hurdles and hoops we all jump through on this personal and creative journey. I'm your host, Athena Calderon, author, interior designer, chef recipe developer, furniture designer, entertaining expert, creative director, stylist, storyteller, editor, and certified oversharer. Does that sound like an insanely long way to describe my career? Well, it is, and that's exactly why we're all here. Today, I'm sitting down with another multi-hyphenate who I admire deeply to talk through their struggles, vulnerabilities, and eventual successes throughout their beautiful and winding journey to where they are now. Because it's in other stories, I believe, that we can always see just a little piece of ourselves. Today's guest is the talented creative innovator and retail leader, Sebastian Brower. Across his 12-year career, He's been the driving force between multi billion dollar brands. We're talking Anthropology, Williams Sonoma Inc., J. Crew, and now Crate and Barrel. While building mega brands is certainly impressive, it's Sebastian's purpose driven leadership that really sets him apart. Guided by his passion for sustainability and social activism, Sebastian spent the early part of his career as a fashion and home design consultant connecting brands with artists and makers to help local communities around the globe. This formative experience has guided his decisions ever since. I experienced this intentional approach firsthand when I collaborated with Sebastian on my Crate and Barrel collection. He was the truest co-creator throughout the entire process, helping to workshop my ideas and always bringing my vision to life. If there's one through line in Sebastian's hyphenated career, it's that intention is always at the heart of everything he does. And as we will discover today, it's been a grounding force on his nonlinear path. I am beyond excited to welcome Sebastian to more than one thing. Sebastian, welcome. I am super honored to have you. Um, your career path has been anything but a straight line and you've studied art and industrial design in Milan and Philadelphia you worked as a designer for anthropology take me back to art and design school and share with me what your hopes were for the future when you were kind of still figuring out who you were
1: first of all the honor is all mine thank you so much for having me here Athena it's such a pleasure and um... I'm so very looking forward to having this conversation with you. So thank you so much.
0: Thank you. I love the relationship that we have built over the past kind of year and a half. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But I guess to kick off the conversation, yeah, I just like, I kind of want to know, yeah, those early days when you were figuring out what your creative life looked like versus, you know, what it was then, what you hoped for, and in comparison to what it looks like now.
1: Yeah. Well, art and design school... I always look back at the time and I have some of the most special and fondest memories. I feel very grateful that I got to study art and had the support of my family and my parents to go and do so because since a very early age, I knew that I wanted to be in design. I knew that I loved the arts and I knew that was what made me incredibly happy and and fulfilled. And my parents recognized that at a very early age and were fully supportive because I come from a generation that, at the time, art was still seen as that sort of not a very easy road, but a very difficult road with a lot of sacrifice. But I, I, I grew up surrounded by art. My grandmother was an amazing painter and she was also in food and my mother was an architect and a designer. So wow. I grew up around incredible women artists and uh, that was always my draw. And very early on, I had this dream that I also wanted to follow that, and and it was in my heart, in my gut, and in my mind. So I wanted to study industrial design, which was a career that wasn't available in Ecuador, where I grew up at the time. So I applied to a series of schools here in the States, and I ended up choosing the University of the Arts in Philadelphia Mm. as my place to go, because I loved that it was one of the oldest art schools in the country, and I wanted to be in the Northeast. I really loved New York. I loved Philadelphia and all the art energy that was going on there at the time. And the program that I went to was really special in the sense that it wasn't traditional Mm -hmm. in the way the design curriculum was built around just designing a chair or designing objects, but more so solving problems and really thinking about the human experience and how you can impact it. So while, while some of my friends that were in the same field were, like, drafting a lot of plans or, like, making chairs and headphones and so on, whatever it is that they wanted to design, we were there looking at how to change the human experience and the world, really. And, and that was really powerful.
0: Wow. Can I just ask just for two reasons? One, my own curiosity, but two, for any listeners that don't actually know what industrial design is— how did you know what industrial design is? Because like I only found out about it way later in life. And I feel like it's something, I mean, I guess if you're a creative and that's what your interests are, you know, you research it and you learn about it. But I feel like it's not something that's so commonly known to so many people. Totally.
1: And I guess my mother was such a big influence there because it's so connected to architecture and, and industrial design is really about shaping the world around you through beauty and function, right? It's not just about the irreverence of creating art, which mostly is about, you know, how you see the world and how you translate it and express it, you know, internally. Industrial design bridges that beauty piece with function and the human factor. And my mom was really someone that helped educate me in that regard because she was incredibly knowledgeable when it came to art and design history. So Whenever we would travel together, she would be like, oh, that, that chair is from Le Corbusier or that building is from Miss Van Der Rohe. Let me tell you about Miss wow. Van Der Rohe. So that was a really powerful start. And I also had an aunt who was actually a psychologist and recognized that I had an, an artistic soul, I guess, very early on. And every birthday, every Christmas, she would give me books and she would give me design books and art books. And I kind of always lost myself at an early age reading a lot. And then through TV, believe it or not, I loved watching documentaries and and the television at the time, way before the internet, TV and books really were my early um, design education. And then great teachers in school that were practicing designers, practicing artists that were super integrated to the fabric of the Philadelphia art scene and the New York City art scene. We had a lot of teachers that used to commute on Amtrak down from New York City and were from their studios in Brooklyn. And, um, they loved to teach and took their time to really hone those skills. I'm sure, I'm sure the teaching of design has changed so much since since I studied it, but I was able to get, I would say, a very rich and classic and kind of unique and avant-garde, I guess,
0: mm-hmm. way of
1: learning design.
0: And as you were going through university and kind of learning from these incredible teachers who shaped you or professors that shaped you, did it start to kind of come into focus what you wanted to take away from that school experience? Did you know you were going to be a designer?
1: Oh, absolutely. But I did have help from teachers because I've, my first year, I just studied art history and foundation courses. And very early on, my teachers and myself were very good to recognize that my strength was in the vision and the ideation and the concept and the mm. storytelling part more so than being really good with my hands actually if if you take a look at my sketches or my drawings they're not the most technical or the most you know i would say uh prodigy right because i i went to school with 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 kids and peers and, and friends that were able to like sketch or paint or draw anything i i was more like abstract and to me it was always about the concept so a teacher said i think you would be really good at industrial design because you you look more at the layers around it
0: wow how fortunate because you could have easily felt comparing yourself to other students and i'm i'm thinking of myself and how i might feel that you felt less than that you didn't have that technical drawing but but somebody saw in you where you did kind of thrive and helped you see that
1: oh for sure and that was super helpful because like you said they helped me see the value in Yes, you have an artistic mind, you have an artistic soul, you think like an artist, you're an artist in your own right. But, you know, the artist profession and the artist identity had also evolved so much to a point where artists were no longer the ones creating the art with their hands. Right. My favorite actually chapter in in art history that we learned was the course on the young British artists. Mm-hmm. And they talked a lot about Damien Hirst, who I, I know very controversial fig- figure, but an artist whose work I, I appreciate so much because of how how many boundaries it broke. And that's when I learned, you know, artists are no longer necessarily fabricators in their own ha- with their own hands, but they can also commission and collaborate and partner with other people that may be more talented, using their hands. So that's when I. I believed in myself as an artist, too to your point, even though I didn't have necessarily the the, the specific on paper skill set that you would necessarily relate to an artist.
0: Wow, that's amazing. So what was your first job out of school? Was it working for anthropology
1: yeah, that was that was my first job and I was actually still in school and um someone had seen my work at an at a student exhibition, someone from from anthropology and I was offered an internship um, and I was working there while I was still going through my senior year of school and that's when I really started to learn about retail anthropology was based in Philadelphia and and they had these they still have these amazing buildings in the Navy Yard down down by the water that are just back then especially where really an artist hub with a lot of young talent anthropology was at a place in their path I guess where They were a brand that was growing, but also when I started working there, the fashion cycle was very much so in this sort of shabby, chic, maximalist place, and everyone was just in awe of what anthropology was doing, and it was because at the time, there was a lot of innovators and creative thinkers that were really imagining and kind of changing the way that specialty retail looked. So that was really my, my first step into retail, and I couldn't have asked for a better place because yeah, I was just I mean, surrounded by amazing, amazing humans that have now either blazed their own paths or are doing completely different things. But at that one point in time, it felt like destiny brought us together to do some really cool things and take some risks that I don't think would necessarily work in mega brands the way that they used to work back in the then back in the day, I guess,
0: yeah, how fortunate, but you eventually left that role to begin working independently in fashion and in ho- as a home design consultant. I'm curious and I kind of want you to like share a little bit about how you summoned the confidence to take a leap of faith to kind of switch careers and to go out on your own because that takes a lot of guts, especially as like a young creative.
1: Absolutely. And I guess when you're very young in your career, right, stepping in out of school and taking on a job, your day to day and the way that you use your brain and, and your thinking is so focused on the mechanics, right? You're learning so much. You're just going in, you're working, you're learning, you're absorbing, you're moving fast. And you always have this gap, right? You always have this gap of this is who I want to be. This is where I want to get. This is how good I want to be. But I'm still not there, right? So all the time you're working and finessing what you do to try to close that gap. I started there as a designer of accessories. So I was designing everything from shoes to handbags to belts to jewelry. And I was kind of just. Thrown into the the waters and and had to kind of learn by myself and on the job. You think that you learn a lot in school, but what you learn in school is really more so how to be as a as a person, I think. And and thankfully have a lot of fun and find what you want to do. But you really learn a lot of your skill and your craft on your first job. So eventually, I guess of, after a couple of years of doing that, my thinking shifted into being more intentional and what is my purpose Mm -hmm. what do i really want to do that's not going to only change my life and my human experience and bring richness to it but also how can i impact the world and make a change or be the difference and at the time as i said anthropology was such an innovative place and we would travel all around the globe i'm talking from nepal to india to africa and i remember the then president of anthropology, who's still a really special mentor and and someone that really created anthropology and, and lived that lifestyle. And then anthropology kind of became a blueprint of her life and personal style, which is amazing. Uh, her and I went on a trip to East Africa, actually, because we wanted to, we were super passionate about creating with artisans right. and protecting craftsmanship and co- the cultural integrity that comes, comes with artisan craft. Because when you work for mega brands you get very used to seeing these big factories and these big industrial landscapes and that can be very disheartening and discouraging and 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 makes you challenge the norm and say i don't want to manufacture a product like this this is not responsible right so we both of us shared this passion about artists and making artists and craft and we were like why don't we experiment a bit and we were we were supported by by, by then by the brand and we said let's take a trip to to places that we admire and create a whole line of product around it. So we went with our backpacks on our back and on a crazy adventure, because it really was. This was 2011, maybe, you know, obviously our thinking of, about the world has changed so much since the pandemic. But back then, I, I would say that we were beginning to get close to the height of globalization where the world felt felt really, really small and, and you felt like you could go anywhere And East Africa was just like a flight away. For some reason, now distances feel so much further than they really are.
0: How did you pitch this concept? And how were you folding in the inspiration that you were taking, you know, out in the world to a mass brand? I'm curious how you pitched it. And I'm curious, what were some of the things that you were seeing out in the world that you were able to bring back and kind of share with the rest of the world?
1: So I guess it was a combination of things. The first one was I grew up in Ecuador, which is a country that is super rich in artisan making and craft, right? Mm -hmm. Like South America, textiles, alpaca, weaving. Uh, And I was always surrounded by that. And I felt like it was my purpose to sort of support those communities and celebrate their art, number one. Number two, being at anthropology, I was like, this is the perfect brand because this customer recognizes and appreciates craftsmanship and They like product that is eclectic and curated from the globe. So I was like putting two and two together. And I was like, if there's a space to take a risk and do this, this is the brand to do it. And I remember just going back home and writing down a proposal that was very short, very brief, almost in bullet points, but it almost had like this poetic sensibility in the way that it was narrated instead of like a business pitch about revenue or you know how much money this could make or how much investment we could take. It was more like a romantic pitch with beautiful imagery that I had collected from my travels and just ideas for product and what it would mean to people. Immediately, actually, they said, yes, we went to Africa and we built this incredible collection of fashion and accessories. It was called Legend and Song at the time. I'm sure if you, you Google it, you can find it. Oh, and it I'd was,
0: love to do that. Yeah. It was
1: all African-Dutch wax and beading from Rwanda, Tanzania. We went and we worked in Ethiopia, uh, with cotton and cotton weavers. And then we brought it back. It took almost a, almost a year to kind of have everything land and, and come together. And then we launched it and it was a wild success. And that was close to, uh, I was almost four years at, at anthropology by then. Mm-hmm. And once we finished that collection, it was almost like, okay, now go back to your job and keep making more you know, sneakers in China and metal Mm. jewelry from India and all these factories. And I was like, I'm not sure I can do that. I I don't think I can go back to that at all.
0: It's such a great example of how like, each kind of like rung on your ladder of your career, quote unquote, success leads you to the next moment or, you know, makes you feel like, okay, I accomplished that. You've checked that. And now it's time to like reinvent again.
1: Yeah. And that's where when I know purpose seems like such an overplayed Word, you know, because everyone's like, what's your purpose? What, what's my purpose? But it's such an integral part of the being. And I, I guess that's when purpose and intention really started to come into my mind and into play. And it just, and it was just like, yeah, yes, you're growing up, you are thinking about more than just yourself and more about how you can take and carry responsibility and use you, this platform and any future platform that may come your way as a vehicle for good. Right. So, mm-hmm. I would say it was probably the scariest moment of my life and career because it, it wasn't, I didn't have any savings really. I was living, yes, having this amazing job, but very early in your career, still living paycheck to paycheck, right? Mm-hmm. I decided to just take a risk and say, I'm going to leave this job, carve out the space to pursue this passion, right? And at the same time, I was seeing West Elm in the sidelines really sort of reshaping their values and their mission. And allocating a big percentage of their business to artisan making. So I connected with West Elm and said, listen, I'm young. It's just me. I love to travel. I'm an adventurer. I love to make. I could bring you access to so many artists and communities all around the world and bring back beautiful product to you and help you reach your commitments. Because they had a really public commitment at the time of allocating almost $30 million of Goods at cost, which is a really high figure to artists and communities around the world. And I was, I saw myself as I could be that catalyst. I could be that vehicle that brings all of this goodness in. And someone there really believed in me. And I say this to to people when they ask, I don't think that job will exist anymore. I had the wildest job I think that anyone could have, and I almost felt like with all respect and humility, almost like an Anthony Bourdain of art, uh-huh. artist artisan making and I would take the wildest trips like I would I would be on the road. that year I was on the road, I would say for almost eight months of, of the entire year. just backpacking through the world on these wild adventures I would I would start trips in Europe and then I would go to caves in Morocco to find selenite. And then I would go to like the mountains of Kathmandu and it sounds wild.
0: So were you a consultant at the time for West Elm or were you a full-time employee?
1: I was a consultant for about a year and West Elm was one of my clients, but I also continued to do some work for anthropology. I consulted for other brands um, here and there, helping them access communities and artisans. Yeah. And then... After a year of traveling all over, I felt so connected to the world, so connected to people, so connected to nature. But at the same time, I felt lonely. I started to feel a little bit lonely uh, being on the road for so long on my own. Someone at West Elm approached me and said, listen, I, I see your talent. I love what you're doing. We have this position open. I heard that, you, that scared you say that you missed community and coming into an office and collaborating with people. And I really missed that a lot in my amazing year. Mm-hmm. and um, I took this full-time role at West Elm at a time when, again, they were growing. I, I, I've i been fortunate to work at brands when they've been sort of almost not starting off, but sort of cementing their status and really going into into growth. And um, I said, yes, I, I, I always wanted to live in New York City. That was a dream of mine growing up because I always saw New York as this world within the world where anybody can thrive and um, opportunities are boundless. So I took the job, moved to New York City for the first time in my life and and spent some great years at West Elm again in working for a mega brand and contributing to their mission.
0: How amazing. I want to acknowledge so much to you, but also to like anybody listening that I find it so inspirational that like you really took where you came from and found a way to make something that was so integral to like what your belief system was and how you were raised and you found a way to funnel that into a career and that's not easy and it's really beautiful to to hear you speak about it I also want to honor you in that, you know, you seem to have this way of acknowledging when something is really amazing, like your first job at anthropology and this traveling around the world, but also realize that maybe when that needs to come to a close and when you need to find something to transition to next and that kind of leads me to my next question is just about career transitions like going from you know traveling the globe to west elm but then you started working for j crew which seems you know like you ping-ponged between interior design and furnishing and retail to fashion and you know taking kind of that leap is that something that there was ever a judgment around like oh for sure Okay, because I'm just I kind of straddle so many different realms, hence why we have this podcast about the multi it. But were you okay with going back and forth between fashion and design?
1: First of all, thank you so much for recognizing that these transitions are hard, and obviously, everything that I just shared with you happened maybe in a, in a span of six to eight years, right? Right. Which, in reality, and in the retail corporate world, is actually a very brief period of time, but For sure. I mean, the most challenging situations I've faced, I guess, through career transitions is people look at your age a lot. And and that, I guess, it's something that our society is starting to evolve out of it a little bit more, I guess. But if you look at anything from sports to business, right, we're always celebrating, oh, how much was accomplished before you were 18 how much was accomplished before you were 30 how much was accomplished before you were 40 right mm-hmm. so in those career transitions when i was either interviewing or or stepped into a new role with new peers around me my age and the fact that i was not in the same role in the same place for more than 4 years was not necessarily something that was seen as a positive right but for me career is not, is not linear. Mm-hmm. And to me, when I start feeling comfortable, when I start feeling too comfortable in what I'm doing, something inside of me says, you're not evolving, you're not growing, you're not learning, you're not experiencing life's richness, really. And I guess that curiosity paired with humility to, and and the gratitude to say, thank you, next, I guess, was something real <laughs> was Thank something you, re- <laughs> was something really hard to come to terms with because in your head, you're always sort of navigating and balancing the gratitude with w- what's best for me too, right? And yeah, I guess the jump from j crew, which actually was, I would say the the choppiest waters throughout my brief career, really, was I joined j crew really because I respected and admired what was built. As a brand by so many brilliant minds. I mean, Jenna Lyons and Mickey Drexler. I mean, Jenna Lyons really gave meaning to that job and and just and she was no longer there. But I had so much respect and admiration for what she had done that she gave that job so much meaning so that when the opportunity came along, I I really wanted to experience that and take it. And mm-hmm. at the same time, watching J. Crew from the sidelines, it was such a great brand, but it needed sort of new energy. Right. But I stepped into it at a time when the brand was facing tremendous challenges and um, I'm still in touch with the, all a lot of people there. It's an amazing team of creatives and, and, and it's incredible and such a delight to see how they're evolving and transforming right now. But yeah, fashion is something that always was very near and dear to me, especially living in New York and being so influenced by street style and style is all around you. And And to me, the arts, whether it's architecture or industrial design or fashion, it's all about a flow and an undercurrent that connects them all. So I never felt afraid to take on something that I had never done before. Because to me, it was just, again, going back to my education about conceptualization and creative thinking, Mm
0: -hmm. more
1: so than just latching on to the technical
0: well, and problem solving, right? You said that it was identified solving. early on that you're so great at problem solving. So it seems like you're constantly problem solving to take you to your next career you know, journey.
1: And I also learned, I guess, very early on the power of teamwork.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And one of the things that always was an important driver to me is I love working with people. I love supporting people and being surrounded by people that are incredibly talented. And I learned Early on, I guess that one of my strengths was helping people connect connect with each other and just sup- helping them thrive and, and just helping. What I loved doing was providing the right tools for for designers to create. And that was something that fulfilled me. Seeing, seeing my peers, seeing my team create masterpieces was something that always left me speechless and in awe because I didn't necessarily have that in me on the technical side, but as a coach and as a mentor and as a, and as a counselor and as someone that advised them and could come in and, and support was something that was incredibly gratifying and impactful to a business. So I was like, okay, take that, build from that and be that conduit.
0: So inspiring, Sebastian. So I want to ask, it's, it's interesting, I think so much about how I approach design and how I approach fashion and how I approach even cooking is like always about contrast. There's always some sort of polarization. So I guess this question is somewhat about polarization in that what was the thing that got in your way that was a roadblock or fear or something that challenged you, but then what was on the opposite end of the spectrum, a moment when you really embraced yourself and you stepped into the I am instead of a question mark hanging over it, am I?
1: Oh, such a good question. You know, it's been amazing to see how values in the workplace have changed over time, right? One of them was embracing vulnerability. Because when I started my career, vulnerability was not necessarily something that we saw as a value in the workplace. It was, it was often sort of mistaken for weakness, right. not necessarily a strength. And I would say that being vulnerable allowed me to overcome a lot of those those challenges cuz you know as i shared earlier age always came into play and with age came experience right and i always sometimes was questioned by peers or colleagues around experience right but he's so young he doesn't have as much experience but in my mind i was i've tr- i've been to almost every country on earth and, you know, to me, that's experience. Or I left my home when I was very, very young in my life and I've been on my own for almost a decade. That to me is valuable and rich experience that I never really equated with age. Right. So.
0: Right. But did you always feel like you had to prove that you had that? Like you knew you had it. At, at
1: one point I did. I At one point I did until I embraced my vulnerability to say, the only opinion that matters is yourself take that and build it as a strength. But I would say that the biggest hurdles in my career had, had, up until that point, came from meeting or facing people that didn't believe in me, right? And my thinking would immediately go into, okay, how do I prove them wrong? And then I was like, but you don't have to prove them wrong. What you have to do is just be the best that you can be and transform the opinion of what you think about you and find that inner strength and find that confidence. And that's when I really started to see my best work come to life and my best work speak for itself more so than me trying to prove something. Try, I feel like trying to prove something can be very dangerous yeah. and it can, it can become a roadblock from focusing on you to create your best work. And when you're an artist and you're a your designer, it's all about the quality of the work more so than the emotions or the feelings or anything behind it,
0: right? Yeah. That's really profound. <laughs> <laughs> I just like needed a moment to like distill that in my mind and be like, Hmm, I'm learning a lot from you, Sebastian.
1: Oh my gosh. And don't get me wrong. There were moments and or days, you know, long days at work. Well, when sometimes all I needed to do was lock the door to my office and have a little cry and come yeah. out, you know, and, and embrace, you know, whatever difficult situation we had to face. But The most challenging situations, I would say, have have usually stemmed from realities that all businesses face, right? And when you're a leader, you have to take the brunt of it and make sure that your team is protected and in good shape and supported. and, And that comes with a lot of difficulties sometimes.
0: Yeah. Okay and then what would you say the catalyst is? when did you step into that that confidence or I mean I guess you answered those two questions rolled up in one but has there been anything else that you wanted to identify maybe like a moment when you finally felt you truly embraced yourself and you know you stood into that I am instead of that am I?
1: I can't necessarily think of a very specific moment because I think it was maybe a series of events that sort of sure. like led me to sort of shape my, my values and my thinking, but, and it's like the sum of all parts versus just one sort of pivotal twist, I would say.
0: that. I mean, that's an amazing answer because I think oftentimes creatives or anyone trying to find themselves are waiting for that one explosive catalyst. And oftentimes it isn't one moment. It's, it is a series of accumulative moments.
1: And it's about the, like embracing, we, we spend so much, this is actually a big, and i would say more recent change in my thinking right we sometimes are so ambitious and committed to our dreams which ne- never lose sight of that because when when those become real there's nothing more special than you know making dreams happen and 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 feeling that you've climbed that mountain but because of that sometimes we tend to forget about the journey and, and not embrace the journey and enjoy the journey and Shifting that mentality most recently has allowed me to just enjoy life and work and the richness that comes with creating. Because I have the privilege and and I'm so grateful for it that I get to wake up every morning and create beauty with a group of creatives. Right? That I don't take that for granted, and I know that that's special. And just st- stopping to think about the end result and focusing more on the day to day has allowed me to enjoy. Simple moments and things that otherwise I would have been so sort of tunnelled out of, mm-hmm. because we always just try to focus on achieving these massive great things. When sometimes those great things are already happening around us, and we don't take a minute to to taste them and enjoy yeah. them. So well, I would say that's a big catalyst for sure. Just definitely. taking a step back and moving slower and embrace the journey and write it down. Like to me, it's helped me a lot to just remember and go back to those memories and. Photographs or you know moments—they they always help.
0: Yeah, for sure. Let's talk a little bit because by the time this podcast is out in the world, my collection with Crate and Barrel will also be out in the world. So I'd love to kind of share with our readers a little bit about our collaboration and you know talk a little bit about how you and I work together. And um, I also kind of want to ask you know, when you identify who it is that you want to work with at Crate & Barrel to develop a furniture collection, you know, what, what helps you define who that right person is?
1: Well, first of all, what a moment. What a moment. Not, <laughs> n- not, not only for you, but also for us. I, I remember actually my first few weeks on the job, I created a whole sort of vision board of People that I wanted to work with to to take the Crate and Barrel brand into its next chapter because I, I always recognize that this is some that this is certainly not something that we could we can do on our own and we needed the help of visionaries and eyes and talent from the community of design and art and different fields of, of art to sort of be part of that conversation. And you were definitely in that vision board. And then fast forward, I don't know, almost three and a half years, here we are. But
0: that makes me so happy. Thank you. because you really I totally believe in the power of manifestation. So I love that, you know, cause I did the same. I mean, I knew, I knew that I wanted to work with Crate and Barrel and it was something that I kind of put out there and, and would you know, dream about and think about what I would, what I would do, how I would, I want, I don't want to give myself not enough credit because I know, and I eat and I breathe design. Yes. But I mean, I didn't know how this could transpire, but I definitely dreamt about it transpiring.
1: No. Oh, first of all, you, you know, a lot. And what I'm looking forward to the most is just to see the reaction that you're going to get from the community and from your community and the same, the same on our side, because it really is something spectacular and and taking a step back and just looking at it it's just like wow how how did we do it because in my eyes it having done this for so many years it's a collection of that is executed at the highest quality for a retailer of our size in the specialty market it really is 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 something fabulous and we definitely manifested it i, I actually want to i'm going to go into my office and find this dated presentation from when you were in there and, and probably send it to you as a gift but it was it, You were definitely up, in, up there in the top of the list. And um, back to your question about how do we choose who we want to work with, I would say that the filter is leaders in the field that have the courage to have their own voice, that are transforming design, that are creatives and artists of, in their own right, and that will take us into, into a new direction and you are such a powerful contrast to the brand but at the same time feel so familiar within within the spaces that we want to go into we just wanted to be there to with you to introduce your first furniture line to the world and 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 it's such a privilege to us so I guess our, that's our filter and and you were definitely top of that list.
0: Oh, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. I, I don't think of that I knew that until this very moment. So thank you. I mean, it was something that, you know, I felt very green surrounding the process of working with, you know, a, a brand of your scale um, and how that, I you know, I really just didn't know how that process was going to go. But at the same time, it felt so effortless and I felt so supported by you along the whole process and you know to your point i felt like the collaboration and the design intention and the energy behind the collection and the vision behind the collection um i always felt very seen by by you by the brand and i did do think we pushed boundaries as far as like things being refined and elegant and sophisticated but i still feel like it feels like the Crate and barrel customer and that it can be received by The masses, for lack of a better word, I feel like it. It, you know, I really wanted to be thoughtful, and I love curation, um, and I love, you know, collecting vintage pieces and trying to give people an essence of the things that I love, and that also the things that people ask me about all the time, and that are completely out of reach, whether they're just not available because they're vintage or they're too expensive. I feel like we. Together, you and I really did, an, and your team of designers, did an amazing job at kind of giving access to people and to the masses, things that they couldn't normally find. So I'm curious because I'm so deeply connected and close to the collection. It's like hard for me sometimes to put into words, like how to describe it. So I'm curious how how you would describe the collection.
1: Well, before we go into the collection, I want to just sort of recognize that the process was so fluid because your your design philosophy and your edit and the design codes that you have established for your vision are so clear and are so powerful and are so rich with history and design references and knowledge of design you really really know why you choose certain things and why you put certain things together like an artist right how to mix texture how to mix material how to look at composition and balance, right? You are. It's funny that you say to me that you, you you felt really green in the process because you really stepped in, and I knew this immediately, like a total design pro. And we were there just along the way to help sort of funnel all of that energy and vision and talent that you have, that you constantly share with the world, and we're so lucky for it, into a collection, right? And I guess that's where my role comes into play, which is to help sort of funnel it into a commercial line with our team and and our team and our team translates sort of like your ethos right which is elegance sophistication form quality vintage new old all of those contrasts yeah. into into a line that is commercial and most importantly accessible to your point so
0: i have to let you know how much that means to me because i you know still to this day i struggle with my own creative process of it feeling very chaotic and i think that the creative chaos of how my brain works feels unorganized. But maybe that's just the way my brain works. But I, I mean, to know that I feel a little scattered and unorganized, but to from your point of view, it feels cohesive and focused. Um, maybe I just need to lean into the chaos more then. But c- because, it, you know, it's nerve wracking. I mean, I was definitely... I was definitely scared of this process. So, you know, the fact that you feel like it was focused just really means a lot to oh, me.
1: I think it was absolutely fluid and which is why the results are so so strong, so beautiful. And back to your question about how I view the collection, I I look at I look at it from so many different angles. Of course, there's the design elements that come together, right? Which I've shared, you know, the texture mixing, the 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 contrast and juxtaposition. I think it's a collection that's all about juxtaposing material texture design eras form mm-hmm. in a way that feel that has absolute flow but i also see it from other angles such as it's an incredible extension of your vision right because we we are also familiar with your home and your projects and and the way that you live beautiful and cook beautiful and your and your fabulous books but and you and i were both i, I feel very intentional about this i remember some of the conversations that we had where we were like Let's find a different place to photograph this and bring this to life. Let's try a different color that I I haven't used yet, but that I love, right? Like Mm -hmm. that chocolate mohair or that rust mohair on that sinuous corvilinear sofa, right? There there were certain things that you wanted to do that I wouldn't say made you feel uncomfortable, but definitely pushed you into trying new things and and looking at it from your side. And again, seeing how pure your design vision is and how true to, to, to yourself it is. I think that allowed us to experiment, and I think that's gonna have your followers, your community, the design world sort of looking at you, not not necessarily differently, but looking at how strong your brand is. Um, And that excites me a lot. And on the flip side, that is an effect that's gonna carry to the Crate and Barrel customer and seeing like, wow, that sofa is Crate and Barrel. Mm -hmm. And in the end, it's like, yes, it's Crate and Barrel. It's built beautifully. It's accessible in price point, it's elegant, it's sophisticated, and it's, it's modern, and it's relevant, and it's how people want to live today. So I think the effect that this is going to have to our brand and to, and to your brand and to your life is going to be so powerful. And I can't wait to see what it does. And I can't wait to have some pieces in my house too.
0: <laughs> same, same. I'm like, I want every piece in my house.
1: <laughs> you should be very proud, Athena. It really, having done this with different collaborators throughout my career, I have to say that this is one of the, if not the best, one of the best design collaborations I've seen out there. And oh, and I think it's going to really you. make a difference.
0: Thank you. I, I really am so proud of it. The quality is just beautiful and it, and it feels like me and it feels like Crate. I want to talk a little bit also about the process of, because I found it really fascinating every time I came to Chicago and I met with all of the teams and met with you and we sat together and, you know, looked at fabrics together and, you know, different materials together and even had breakfast and lunch together. I just was in awe of kind of the process because I work a little Mm -hmm. bit almost in a silo. You know, I have a very, for a very long time, it was just me and Jordana on my team. And, you know, we're very small and nimble and to step into the create world and better understand like how things get done and how there's so many different teams who weigh in at every stage, And I just I thought it was really fascinating. So I thought it would be interesting for other people to hear, you know, the difference between like the buyers and the merchants and the design teams and even how like the lighting team is different than the furniture team and it's different from the tabletop team. I thought that the whole sampling process was and marketing and merchandising process was interesting. So I I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about that.
1: Of course. Our CEO, Janet, always has a brilliant saying that always makes me laugh and smile. And she says, retail is a team sport. Mm. And it really, really is. And and you just so articulately described how creating a collection is really a synchronized dance between so many different functions and so many mm. different parts of a brain that make up, I guess, a mind, one mind, right? And that's the beauty of the process, that it's not siloed. And it's, it's about the combination of so many different Experts coming together to deliver something that's going to succeed in the market. That's why it's there are good brands and then there are great brands, right? And 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 that's the difference between a good and a great brand. Great brands are composed by teams of people that that are experts and come in day in day out to add value, right? So, right. Talking a little bit about the process, I guess it always starts with a simple creative concept. And I remember you walking my team through Josh and Maureen and Melody and everyone that makes Crate and the world go round at our offices with a mood board right right which was beautifully edited and and so reflective of your style and your vision and it starts with the design team and the creative team whose responsibility is to create that be- beauty right and interpret all of that vision and and then they go and start sketching right they start sketching very loosely and coming coming together with ideas and rendering ideas and and i would say that that's the most fun the whole process is fun, but I guess this one's the the part this part of the process, is the one that's more fun and fluid, I would say, because it's that creative exchange, right? And then, of course, you came into Chicago or we met we met a lot virtually and and you reviewed a lot of these sketches and 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 that's where we really collaborated and you said, "Oh, I, I want you to change this. This form doesn't feel quite right. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to add tough thing. I want to imagine this in this fabrication. Oh, that coffee table goes with this sofa or, this glassware piece, I wanted to be fluted and have these specific proportions. And you were very intentional and detail oriented to, to sort of guide the team in, in finessing and refining.
0: But they also guided me a lot. Like, I really want to credit, you know, working with Maureen was amazing because, like, sometimes I got so stuck on some of the forms and, you know, this arm with this back and this fabric and this tufting. She, you know, she would often say to me, well, how do you envision styling this? What do you envision pairing with this? And that really kind of helped me pull away from being so macro and like zoned yeah. in on the singular piece and instead think of it as an overarching collection. And and I remember at one point I said to her like, oh, I haven't even thought about what, you know, I've been designing these two coffee tables and this sofa, but I hadn't really thought, well, which one do I want to pair with which? So it was really such a collaborative effort and, you know, just just learning, you know, how to make sure I'm looking at this as a whole and sometimes losing sight of that when you get so focused on the granular details.
1: Yeah. And that's that's where their power really comes in. They're not only so technically savvy, but a good collection is, is so much about telling a story. Mm-hmm. And Maureen is such a, such a strong storyteller through color, through pattern, to form. And you can see her incredible contributions in it. So yeah, and then once we, I guess, get through that part of the process, right? And once we select, these are the pieces that we're going to go after, the sampling starts. And then lo and behold, six weeks later, you were here in Chicago and you were reviewing first prototypes. And that's really where I step in a little bit more and sort of help unlock certain things like, I I love this chair. This chair is fabulous. I want to have it in two colors or... This sofa is phenomenal. It needs to be able to be customized and it, be, it needs to be open to the wall. So we allow our customers to pick their color and mm-hmm. do, it in, do it in fabric and do it in velvet. Or, you know, that I, that's where I come in sort of like to help, I would say, remove boundaries and just unlock potential sure. <laughs> and, 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 and make sure that your vision is really coming through in, in, in the best way possible. And of course, we, that's when our sourcing team comes in that is advocating for quality, but also for responsible manufacturing, right? Making sure that the fabrics are eco and non-toxic and organic, and things are made well and tested properly and are built to last. And and they're helping sort of liaise between the manufacturing side and arm with with the creative and sort of being that wonderful bridge. And at the same time, we have sort of the business end, which are the merchants who are there, sort of helping guide the architecture of the line and in order for it to to be positioned for success, right?
0: The merchants are the ones that help identify the price point, right? And yeah. you know, like, I remember at a certain point, we all felt that the dining table maybe should be a little bit longer or maybe be a little bit thicker, but the merchants would come in and be like, that would bring us above our price point.
1: Totally, yeah. They control price and margin, right? right. And, and all of that is informed by a lot of data, a lot of consumer data, a lot of competitive market data, um, it doesn't just come from out of nowhere. You know, a, mer- a good merchant understands pricing and looks at a coffee table and says, if I get that coffee table for six ninety nine, it's going to fly out the door, right? right? Very, very different when that coffee table is at 1200 or et cetera. And also the price value equation is very important. And it's always like a really beautiful, I would say, it's it's tension and debate and back and forth. And it's debate worth having because design pushes aesthetic, right? And quality. And merch pushes the business end, and when the, when they meet in the middle, and you achieve this great tension, it, it means that your product is going to be positioned for success.
0: Mm-hmm. And being a creative yourself, was it was it hard sometimes for you to be told if you your heart is tethered to a specific piece?
1: For always,
0: you
1: to be- <laughs> <laughs> always. Amazing. It's, it's yeah, like the, <laughs> it's like the hardest thing about our job, right? Because all we want to do is just create beauty without compromise, but we we do, when we work in a commercial environment, we do need that compromise in order to have success and have customers, you know, bring these pieces into their homes so that we can keep doing it and do it all over again, right?
0: Of course. Of course, one of the thing that like broke my heart time and time again was this tip test thing. I mean, <laughs> I guess you guys you know, nothing can fall over. And like there were a couple of like stools and pedestals that I had designed that didn't yeah. me- meet the tip test and I was like, yeah. "Oh goodness." But like Look, guardrails and boundaries sometimes make for better design. So, you know, I'm I'm thankful for the whole process, even the process that had to edit out some of my favorite things. I know,
1: but there will be more, and and you know, an edit is a good thing. I've learned that when when a collection is just edited and crystal clear in the way that it's presented and pulled together, mm-hmm. um, you drive even more momentum, right? Because you don't want to be over assorted and offer too many options. You want to offer the best of the best, and keep it super focused there's there's a beautiful power to editing
0: definitely i'm sure as
1: you know i mean you're all about editing i see you you know styling and pulling together environments and you're all about you're very intentional about what you bring in and and how and i guess retail is good retail is the same way
0: definitely so i will never forget one of the first times we met in chicago and we had dinner together we had this conversation that i thought was really interesting to for us to kind of share. You've been brought on to kind of guide and like usher the Crate brand and consumer into a new era. But I'm sure that you have to be like super mindful to not alienate your long-term customers. So I, I guess I'm just curious, like w- how you navigate the difficult and probably challenging task of kind of growing and introducing the customer to myself and Leanne and these new collaborations but also making sure that you honor your long-term customers and you know i just thought it would be interesting for you to kind of speak to how you're steering that ship and how you kind of navigate your role gracefully
1: of course really good question and actually the hardest balancing act of my job is exactly what you just you just described you never in retail you never want to be the faster horse retail is so much about the moment and the present right and the beauty of retail is that you almost have to look into the future because we work almost a year to a year and a half in advance, right? You and I starting our, started working on your collection almost two years ago, and it's just about to hit the market. Right. Would we have introduced the same pieces that we're about to introduce now a year ago? I'm not sure if the world was ready for that yet. I, I, I'm not sure they were. I'm not sure the Crate customer was ready for that yet. I know for a fact that this year they will, right? And, and and that's, I guess, the balancing act because it, and where I have to kind of pull myself in a little bit and go back to the place that Crate and Barrel is a brand that is about reaching millions of customers and millions of homes and helping customers bring in beauty and purpose into their lives. Right. It's not about my brand or my name is not, you know, on the marquee in the, in the store. Mm-hmm. And that can be very hard for a creative and a designer that is such, so much about sharing the, their point of view to the world, right? So what helps me is just coming back and thinking about the customer and meeting them where they are and really being connected to consumer data and, and, and culture. I, I mean, mm-hmm. when I'm creating a concept, again, I'm, for instance, I'm working on spring of 24 of next year. I am not only looking at design and architecture and color palettes and materials and material innovation, I spent a lot of time looking at just general culture, like what music is of the moment, what's happening in fashion, mm-hmm. what's happening in the world of art, what, what major exhibitions are, are taking place across leading art institutions and museum around museums around the world, what movies are coming out. I kind of take a look at all of that to then kind of decide, okay, I I feel that the world is sort of starting to gravitate into the seventies again, or starting to gravitate into the fifties or, or wherever it may be. And then from there, we start to kind of like go deeper into design inspiration and translate that into a concept, but, but it starts a year in advance and, and it's so customer centric so that when, when we're in that process, I always look at our top sellers. And my mm-hmm. challenge there is to how do I how do we make this look fresh? Yes, to us as a designer, it absolutely feels dated, but there's something about it that the customer loves. There's powerful data in that. How can we take it and twist it and turn it on its ear or streamline it to make it feel fresh to today? And that's a day-to-day challenge and, and a very hard balancing act. And we reach so, such a broad range of customers from a psychographic level, not necessarily from a demographic level. We look we look at customer from a psychographic layer, which actually helps. It helps, helps us take more risks and kind of push the boundaries a little bit more. But I also see it as doing it in chapters. Mm. You know, you don't want to give everything out in the first chapter. You want to keep building and building and get the customer familiar and used to it. And yeah. naturally, the more new and fresh you introduce the old starts to sort of fall out and and then you do it gradually and with mm-hmm. intention
0: what a beautiful way to look at things i love that okay million dollar question what is your favorite piece in the collection and what do you think is going to be the best seller
1: ooh <laughs> such a hard question i love chairs i'm i've always loved chairs because they're the jewelry in a room and Actually, chairs are the items that take the great majority of design principles and put them put them into play in one item, right? Where you like look at engineering, you look at form, you look at beauty, you look at balance, you look at harmony, you look at all those things. Like a chair is like a poster for design or good design. Right. So I have to say that your dining chairs, I think it's ceremony. Yes. The ceremony dining chair that has sort of this. Japanese influence and maybe a little bit of Italian mid-century influence in there too is is one of my favorites. And I love that shearling chair too.
0: I know, me too. I think that's going to be like the the hit. Yeah, for sure.
1: But there's too much goodness. The glassware is spectacular too. Oh my too. God,
0: I love that you just said that. Because as I asked you the question, I was thinking too that the glassware, I mean, the moment that I saw that for the first time, the first sample, I was like, like I am a snob when it comes to glassware because Same. I love a thin glass. <laughs> like Just the way it hits your lip is different. And I just feel like... whoever made those glasses, you know, after I I shared my kind of design references, just knocked it out of the park. And I think, I think a good, good glassware is an essential piece and also a great entry point piece for a lot of people. So yeah. And
1: glassware, I mean, glassware, I think Clayton Barrel just has the best glassware out there. Like
0: for sure.
1: Price point, choice, options, quality. Like we offer everything. Like we, we really own that market and for a designer to come in with their vision and sort of like go into that category with something so well done, mm. is is just like a really great statement for a collaboration and and a category that's definitely really hard to break because we already have everything. So you came in with something oh, super I original. Love
0: that. You know what I'm just realizing? September 11th is going to be mine and Victor's 24-year wedding anniversary. How oh, crazy wow. is that?
1: But Congratulations. I, That's amazing. Thank
0: you. Thank you. But I can remember... Going into Crate and Barrel in Manhasset in Long Island and Mm -hmm. registering for my wedding for my Crate and Barrel glassware. And it's just such a full circle moment that like 24 years later that I have my own glassware now at Crate and Barrel. So It's it's, your own. It's so special. You need to
1: sign it for us.
0: I love it. I love it so much. I could not be more excited, proud, humbled, grateful for this learning process and this opportunity. So thank you so much.
1: Oh, congratulations. Congratulations. To us. To us.
0: Thank you for the opportunity. Two questions that I want to close with is one kind of in this like world of diverse and ever expanding alternative career paths. Kind of what advice you would give to someone who's thinking of taking the road less traveled and, you know, something that they can't just like, when asked the question, what do you do? There isn't always, you know, a succinct answer to what advice would you give them?
1: That fear can always be overcome and that all it takes is a little courage. And if you're at a crossroads that where you feel scared or powerless or confused, Take that risk and it'll only make you stronger. It'll only push you into new territory and it'll only expand and add to your life. So I would say that don't consider fear a factor, like isolate that and and, and think outside of that because it can always be overcome and, and always practice courage, humility and gratitude and confidence. Like Don't confuse confidence with arrogance. It's incredibly powerful to have confidence in you and what you're doing and it takes time. And um, yeah, be be proud of your work and embrace it and enjoy it.
0: So incredible. So as a designer and as an artist and as an editor and as a storyteller and as a student and so many things, what's next for you? Are there any anything that you want to share about any dream projects or any goals that you have personally for yourself or creative pursuits that you know, you're know you looking to explore?
1: Well, I feel like it's been only almost four years, but my journey at Crate and Barrel, it's only just hitting its it's most beautiful peak, right? Because I had to step in and build a team. It, it took a lot of work of us coming together as a team to sort of transform the brand, and we're just starting to see the results of that. And it's it really is a day-to-day task, but we're almost reaching that pinnacle where everything's really coming together in the way that we envisioned. So I, I am still incredibly driven and and inspired by the potential that the Crate & Barrel brand has to continue to grow. We're actually celebrating our 60th year anniversary this Thursday, which is which wow. is an amazing milestone. and And I feel so honored and grateful to be part of a brand that has been around for so long. Definitely. So I still have a lot to give for Crate. And my dream is just to keep seeing Crate growing and building and transforming and and becoming cooler and cooler and and better better for the world you know we're 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 in in this path of of completely transforming the way that we do we do business in a way that is responsible to people and planet and the environment and we're only halfway there in in our road to becoming carbon neutral and certified organic for our total assortment so i'm spending a lot of time around sustainability and I'm also spending a lot of time on artists and craft and making and, and inclusive design. we we signed the fifteen percent pledge. So we're Oh built- my
0: goodness, that's amazing. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Wow.
1: It's been almost we signed it actually in the middle of the pandemic. I remember taking calls with Aurora when she was in her car. Uh, When she had just started this, we were one of the first retailers to join, Um, and we've been, you know, spending our time building a Black artist and Black designer and BIPOC designer incubator. So I'm spending a lot of time sort of working through that, and yeah, there's there's still so much to do for such a powerful brand, and and I'm just centered on designing with purpose and intention, going back to that personal purpose of mine, and. being inclusive by design, socially responsible by design, creating beauty, meeting the customer where they're at, and continuing to build this brand into the future.
0: I love that. So inspiring. What an incredible conversation. Thank you, Sebastian. Thank you, Athena. This is amazing. And I cannot wait to see what the world thinks about our collaboration. And again, I could not be more grateful and proud of what we created together.
1: You should be. Thank you so much for having me. I've I've been following your Path in your career since I was a a designer in my earlier years, and it's just absolutely surreal that I, I got to work with you. Really, it's really a, a testament of I think um, fulfilling dreams. So
0: one thousand percent. Well, it sounds like we both fulfilled each other's dreams. Because, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so special so special thank you i could not be more excited to to kind of enter this new phase of my career together with creighton barrel
1: awesome thank you awesome
0: all right thanks sebastian i'll see you next week
1: thank you (laughs) athena all
0: right bye sweetheart bye that was sebastian brower senior vice president of product design and head of metaverse and web 3.0 at creighton barrel Thanks for tuning into More Than One Thing. If you enjoyed today's show, I would be incredibly grateful if you could take a moment to rate and review us, and I'd also love your feedback. Which multi-hyphenates would you like to hear from on the show? Please send your guest suggestions or any other feedback to morethanonethingpodcast at gmail.com, and be sure to check us out on Instagram. At More Than One Thing Podcast, and you can find me personally on social at iSwoon. If you'd like to receive the More Than One Thing newsletter, then please visit iSwoon.com to subscribe. I'm Athena Calderon, and you've been listening to More Than One Thing.